0: The Silver Star 1982, the first period of class taught by Brother John McConville at Van Nuys, California. The general subject, the second epistle of Peter, and the title of his address this morning is The Flesh is Falling. Brother John, please. This is not a very pleasant duty this morning. Flesh's folly is never pleasant to talk about. One would like to just skip it. One would just like to read the first chapter and skip right over to the third chapter. But if our beloved Peter saw fit to write it, if because he had concern for our welfare, if our Lord has instructed him in this manner. If Jesus Christ has laid down these things that talk about us, dare we not listen to what is being said? Dare we not take them into our own heart no matter what they do to us? For we talked yesterday of but. And he shows us the damnable, destructive, pernicious ways of mankind and he gives us those two examples of the past that ended or consummated in the destruction of thousands and thousands of people and just the few are delivered. we come down in the second chapter then of second Peter, And we finished up about verses 8 and 9. Knowing that the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. And he starts in. Giving us a little hope, and yet nevertheless not cushioning any of the blows that fall upon the nature of man and his inclinations, his desires, his wants, he doesn't hesitate to tell us who we are. In Psalm 34, however, one is almost tempted to linger here forever. Because as bad as things get, as low as we seem to fall, we have these kind of beautiful things that are held out in the scriptures for our benefit. And I'm almost tempted to go through this verse by verse because it's it's the things I want to know about. It's the things I really want to dwell upon. But I have to settle for verses 17 through 19. The righteous cried, and the Lord heareth, and he delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such that are of a contrite spirit. What beautiful thoughts those are. What a marvelous thing it is to believe in our God and accept this word as absolutely true, something that can be relied upon, something that we can stake our life on. And the Lord is nigh unto us if we have this broken and contrite heart. If we have the spirit that is willing to bow down and accept whatever our God would have laid upon us. And he does, you know, expect a great deal to be laid upon us. He does. For the next verse says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. That doesn't sound right somehow, does it? We always want the good guy to have all the good things. And the bad guy always to get the bad things. But that's not the way this world works. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. So I can't give you the comfort that the churches can give because the scriptures don't hold that out. Man is born for trial and tribulation. God doesn't want it that way, but God knows that it is a requirement for flesh so that it will be broken, so that it will be bowed down at the feet of their Lord and Master. Because when one recognizes that he can't stand under his own strength and under his own power, when one comes to the realization that he doesn't have what it takes to cope with sin when one realizes that this is not our dominion, that we're in a foreign land, strangers and pilgrims, then one recognizes that the only place he can turn is to the Lord. And it says here in that 19th verse, but The Lord delivereth him out of all of them. All of the many afflictions that are laid upon us. You know, But it's true that many of the afflictions, many of the afflictions are self-induced. And we don't have to look at other flesh to see the problems and, and who is laying them on us. No, we do it ourselves. We bring all these things upon us and then we say, why does this happen to me? It's because we're made out of this thing of the dust that is prone to sin. And we provoke people, we stir them up, and then things come back upon our own heads and we wonder why. But the Lord encampeth around those that love him, that fear him, that think of him as their only salvation. And that's the glory that we hold as we now consider what Peter talks about in relation to that flesh. Back in Second Peter, in the second chapter, and at That tenth verse. There's a judgment day coming. But chiefly in them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed, they're not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Walk after the flesh. You know, the corresponding verse in Jude just tells us about that. Well, there's several verses. You might look at the 11th verse first. It's corresponding with what Peter is saying. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. Three men brought out of the sure word of prophecy that is left for our benefit. And those three correspond to these three right here. They walk after the flesh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of uncleanness. They despise governments, presumptuous are they, the lust of the eye and the pride of life. That's what it is, speaking evil of dignities. And that's what these three represent in the 11th verse. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Cain, Balaam, and Korah. Cain wanted everything for nothing. Balaam wanted everything for nothing. Korah, the same thing. You don't get everything for nothing. You have to pay a price for things. God is willing to give you everything, but you've got to pay with your life. It isn't worth it. I mean, your life is not worth getting what God offers, but you nonetheless have to pay for that. And so we strive to give and give and give of ourselves. Cain, you could see the blessing of God laid upon his brother who was of a broken and contrite heart, brought the sin offering, representing that his. His life was broken that it was poured out for his Lord to do his will. Denying the lust of the flesh, And king got angry. And the seed of the woman was struck down by the seed of the serpent. Just as it happened to our Lord, just as it happens to us, just as the many afflictions are laid upon us, if we uphold righteousness, because this dispensation cannot stand righteousness, It has no no companionship with it, no feeling for it. It doesn't understand what's going on. And Cain killed and was killed. And Abel gave his life. And Abel receives his life. And he's the first one mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. The lust of the flesh does it every time the lust of the eye running greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward. You know, we know. We know that the things of this life are not something that we have to crave after. We know that we shouldn't be seeking them, that we should be seeking first the kingdom of God, and that all these things will be added unto them. We know that. We read it and we, we dwell upon it. We talk about it. But we rise up early in the morning and say, let's go. We don't wait for the direction of God. We want the reward that's at the other end. So did Balaam. The heir of Balaam for reward. This is not the time for reward, although we get that, It was just to have the pleasure of one another on occasion where we know we're talking with people and listening to people who believe exactly the same things, and who are striving to accomplish the same thing in life, who are striving to be a, a little bit of light, a reflection of their Lord, and just to be with one another. Is reward enough, knowing that the day is shortly to come when the elevation will be made, that the reward will be given when we can stand in the light of God's truth And never again have it dimmed or put out. We don't want the reward now. Let's keep stirring us up and encouraging ourselves to turn away from such activities. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye is not worth it. Because once you get it, it doesn't even satisfy. I know, it's true. It does not satisfy. One can never get enough. and perish in the gainsaying of Korah? Speak evil of dignities. Want to be elevated as the pride of life? Is that what we want? Want people to think good of us? Well, sure we do. There is no one who wants to be thought bad of. Well, even thieves want to be known as the best. And not to think upon one another? Oh, they want, they have their set of, Codes and ethics, and they uphold one another. Everybody wants to be thought the best. Well, be thought the best, but be thought the best by the right people. And it starts out with our Creator. That's the one we want the pat on the back from. If we want the pat on the back now, we're just getting our reward now. Wait for your day to come. And it will come, just as sure as we're here. It will come. Cora wanted it now. And you know, Cora got it now. He's almost famous. Unfortunately, he's got in, in front of him. Infamous. Recorded for everyone to see, to know about. Infamous. Terrible things, aren't they? In the 11th or Jude, the 16th verse, these are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, their mouths speaking great swelling words, Having men's, men's persons in ad, admiration because of advantage. No, that's that's not pleasant to talk about. 18th verse, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own godly ungodly lust. Well, it's true. It is true. Brethren and sisters, we have to know the environment in which we live. We don't want to be walking after the flesh and the lust of uncleanness, despising government, the dominion. The real dominion that is despised, you know, is God's dominion. That's the real dominion. We obey the magistrates of the land as much as lieth in us. But this is an age of rebellion. This is an age when everybody thinks that they have a right to do what they feel is right. And we do not have that right. There is authority, and authority should be obeyed. And the supreme authority, of course, is our God and our Lord. And then in the 11th verse of the second chapter of 2 Peter, he says, whereas angels which are greater in power and might, they bring that railing accusation against them before the Lord. They don't do that. Angels recognize their position as the messengers of God. They speak forth God's words. They let people just hear what God wants them to hear. They don't make up things. Nor should we. We hope to be as the angels, never to die. Equal unto the angels. Well, do it right now. We're setting up a, a pace and showing that our mind is, is the way the mind of the angels work. And and we're setting that. Nobody can see it. They should see the results of it. But they can't see what's in the, in the mind, can they? But we're striving to show our God that that's what's up there. And once we've convinced him, once we've let him know that this is, is the way we want to live, the way we want to think, he then takes this vile body which is just sin-prone, and he changes it in a moment. And we become the angels of God. Bring railing accusation against the powers. No, not the angels. But these, as natural brute beasts. That's physical, irrational animals. You know, the pet dog that you have for years turns and bites and devours a little child. Not because it wants to be vicious, but because it just is natural. Human, not human, excuse me. The humans are like that. It has that nature that's only full of instinct. Preserve itself and destroy everything around it. Men are like that. In the ninth verse of Jude, that same thought is again picked up. Yet Michael, the archangel, the one like God, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. But he durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. And we know that incident, don't we? We know what that's talking about. And so we remind ourselves that just as Michael, disputing about the body of Moses, the children of Israel, durst not bring railing accusation, nor do we. We might just look at Zechariah just for our own amazement, third chapter. Zechariah, third chapter, second verse. So we might look at the first. Zechariah, third chapter, first verse. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. There's this conflict that's always going on when you're in the dominion of sin. That conflict is always going on. And of course, we know that this is talking about Jesus Christ. It's it's a type, it's a parable, it's a symbol, it's... It's that which is pointing forward to Jesus as we get down to the 8th verse and we see, I will bring forth my servant, the branch, Joshua, Jesus. But it's at that time when the children of Israel are brought back to the land that they might reestablish that pseudo-kingdom that would be there when Jesus Christ came back into the land. And here it stands, And the Lord said unto Satan, that was the angel in conflict with the angel. Michael, one like God, said unto Satan, the Lord rebuke thee, O Satan, Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? And Jerusalem was about to be rebuilt, the land was to be taken over again? And there was that terrible resistance. Oh, we know it, it's in Ezra, the fourth chapter. It's that time when they were trying to build again the things that were once established. Ezra chapter 4. And at the first verse, we read about this conflict that was going on between the Joshuas and the Satans. And there it is, first verse. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity builded the temple unto the Lord God of Israel, there were the two of them. Israel, the Prince of God, the one who was such a poor type of the true Prince of God, Jesus Christ, came to rebuild, just as Christ came to rebuild and the adversaries were on every side and gnashed at him with their teeth and they did hear. Then they came to Zerubbabel and to the chief of the fathers and said unto them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as ye do. Is that right? And we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, which brought us up hither. Well, that sounds great, doesn't it? We've got help. we come back to the land and we're going to build, and here's a, here's a people waiting for us that says, Look, we've got the same God you've got. We worship the same uh, people. We do the same things. We have the same ambitions. We'll sacrifice with you. We'll work with you. Oh, how marvelous that is that we've got now some strength We've got now some help, you know, somebody will buoy us up in these things. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Joshua, the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel said unto them, He have nothing to do with us to build a house unto our God. What a terrible thing to say. When just out of the goodness of their heart, they were coming. You know, we worship God. We sacrifice. We ourselves together will build unto the Lord God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, hath commanded us. Why, how merciless! How full of, of despisement they had for these people. That's terrible. They didn't have any love. They didn't have any mercy of any kind. Because the God, the God that they said they worshiped was not the same God. Just because today people claim they are Christians doesn't mean they worship Christ. Just because they have service on Sunday morning just like we do doesn't mean that that service is unto the Lord. Just because they establish houses of welfare for people and are sending out missionaries to feed them with with a loaf of bread doesn't make them righteous in the sight of God. And there is no way, brethren and sisters, that we today worship Jesus as God. We do not worship the same God. Flesh is out to make its own way in life. It'll sacrifice and it'll give up a great deal. It has a cause and it will work for that cause. And we can learn a lesson from that cause. The way they work, the way they give of themselves, where they deny themselves to make their cause prosper. We can take a lesson from that. Just as an unjust steward gave his all to secure himself. So we can take up but we cannot join. We cannot become one with part of a system. That system that is going to be destroyed and is labeled with that terrible name in the book of Revelation. We do not want to be joined to a harlot because if you are, you become one flesh with them. That is not our calling. Ours is a high and holy calling. And even though, even though they come with loving voices and they want you to participate Look, we're both going to do good. Let's do good together. No, no. We have nothing to do with us to build a house unto our God. But we ourselves, together, will build unto the Lord God of Israel. Now, let's do it. Our job today is to build a house of the Lord together unto the God of Israel, not unto our our own pleasures, not unto our own wants. You know, I have nothing... Nothing against building uh, a place to worship. We have one in Mercedes. And a great deal of good has come out of that. But the building is not the important. The house of God we build is the ecclesia. We are the called out ones. We are the ones that have to be knitted together and framed and and held up to our God for his glory so that his spirit can come within us and govern and show and and be a light to the Gentiles around us. Now that can only be done by people who are steeped in the word of God, people who are letting that word of God come forth from their lips and will not accept in their ears anything that is contrary to it. Oh, we have nothing to do with those who want to build with us. But the moment we say that, we bring afflictions on ourselves because you live in a land that is not your land at the moment you live in a territory that is is beautiful and corrupt and what happens in the fourth verse of Ezra 4 then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah troubled them in the building you know they come around the side and stand next to the, the last one in line, the weak one. And they say, Oh, you'd love our prayer meetings. We have such a good feeling. You'll really see fellowship if, if you come and stand alongside of us. And the weak one, looking looking forward to the leaders going ahead, says, Well, I guess there's no harm. You're going to pray, are you? Yes, yeah, so and they go and are snared away. The hands of the people are weakened. Or they say, well, you should never be downgrading people. Well, that's right. That's the truth, isn't it? Well, then they tie that up with people who are trying to serve the Lord, they say. and Therefore, you should never say anything bad about people who are trying to serve the Lord. Well, sure you should. If Jesus Christ could say to his own beloved, harsh things, we have to do the same to those who claim to be Christians. We have to do the same to let them know what is right and what is wrong. Oh, the leader of the world, Church, is a very pleasant fellow, but don't be misled. With the speaking of those tongues and let our hands be weakened to think that we can become part of that system. They even, in the fifth verse, hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia. And then in the sixth verse, in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of the reign, they wrote unto him an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. Maintain that Jesus is the Son of God, not God the Son maintain that firmly and that the kingdom of God is going to be on the earth. That there is no rapture where one is taken up into heaven while the devil is let loose upon this earth. That Antichrist is going to stand up in Jerusalem. Have no part of that and tell the people that they are being deluded because they are being deluded. We love these people around us to the extent that we're willing to sacrifice our comfort We're willing to get out on the streets and talk to them. We're willing to give of ourselves, spend our money to go to a far place, aren't we? We're willing to do that for their sakes. And even though they put terrible messages on our answering devices, and oh, you get them, don't you? Terrible messages. We'll take all the rebuke and all the revile that wants to be heaped upon us. If our Lord did, we certainly have not yet resisted unto blood. And we'd be glad to resist under blood. It's the easy way out, isn't it? Wouldn't you rather die right now and then to be with your Lord in a second? Why, sure. This is the time for us to wake up and not be deluded. This is what Peter is, his last message is trying to give to us. We don't bring railing accusation against the authorities. We speak of a system of corruption that has to go. We speak of truth that is going to elevate And when we do talk about anything that is of a detrimental nature, it is, thus saith the Lord. And we quote chapter and verse. And so the example that is brought up by Peter is right out of a prophecy of old. But back in Second Peter, then, in that 13th verse, after he talks about these natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed in verse 12, speaking of evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption, their own destruction. They shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they counted pleasure to riot in the daytime. Well, you know why it says daytime? Not because it's daytime now. This is the night. There is no sun illuminating the the heavens today. This is night. But the reason he says they count it pleasure to riot in the daytime is because rioting most of the time is done in the night. But these people are so flagrant that even if they stand in the light of the sun, they continue their riotous ways because they are no longer ashamed of anything that they do. I was talking with a brother just this morning. And how a few years, just a few years ago, when people committed sin, they were ostracized by the community. There were some kind of laws in the land that kind of prohibited wickedness. And now the law, those laws are being pushed back. That we have no right to inhibit people. And we're allowed to do anything. You know, in our coins, It says, in God we trust. What a farce that is. I don't know who trusts in God in the United States. Billions of dollars are right now being allocated to their God. I didn't know God was missiles, atomic weapons, nuclear devices. I didn't know that. That's what they're trusting in. What are we trusting in? We have churches in the States, I don't know about up here, that are just for homosexuals. They have marriages in the church. Should we be joined to that who counted pleasure a riot in the daytime. It's a sensualness. That's what that pleasure is, a sensualness, a delight that they take in in all their senses. Luke, the 8th chapter, at verse 14. You know it. Parable of the Sower. Luke 8 and 14. And that which fell among thorns, the seed, which when they heard the word, they go forth. (laughs) They've heard it. And they go forth. And they are choked with the cares, with the riches, and with the pleasures of this life. And they bring. No fruit with patience. No fruit to perfection. That's the state of the world today. Titus chapter 3. Paul says, put them in mind. Remind them, Titus. Third verse, he says, for we also, ourselves, were sometimes foolish. You notice it's past tense. We were foolish. We shouldn't be foolish anymore. We were disobedient. This is the time for obedience, brethren and sisters. We were deceived. We shouldn't be deceived anymore. We should know these things. Serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That's what we came out from. That's what we've been called from. All of those things should be the reverse in our lives. There should be nothing of that in our dispositions. Nothing. But because we were like that, he says in the verse before, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. We don't go around grabbing people by the throat, deceiving people and trying to connive them into the truth. No. We recognize that unless the word of God is going to move them as it has moved us, nothing will save people. You can't control, you can't, you can't plead, you can't... And we do this with our children. We do it with everybody around us. We seem to think we've got to use all devices. No, the Word of God, if it doesn't move them, nothing will move them. And so with, with a gentleness and a persuasion and a, a fervency and a zeal, we put forth the Word of God and let it have its effect upon people. Let it either move them toward us or away from us, and it will... They'll never just stand right there. When you put the word of God in front of people, they'll, they'll either run from it, as the devil flees, or they'll come towards you. Because they're not coming toward you. They're coming toward God. And Paul reminds him that you've been called out from these things. James, the fourth chapter. First verse. Fourth chapter. Verse first verse. From whence come wars, disputes, and fightings or brawlings among you? <laughs> James is writing to the brethren. Did you know that? Yeah, James is writing to the brethren. Now he whence come these wars and fightings, these disputes, these, these brawlings among you? Come they not hence even of your own lust, that which we left behind when we stepped into Jesus Christ—it's of your own lust that war in your members. Your lust, and you have not. You kill your desire to have, and cannot obtain. You fight and war, and such. you have not because you ask not. Oh, sometimes you ask, he says, but you receive not because. You ask amiss why, that you may consume it upon your lust. Isn't it terrible that such verses, such chapters, such thoughts are put in the scriptures, that we have to dwell upon it? Well, it's terrible in that we don't like it, but it's wonderful that we have a God who cares enough about us to reveal us for what we are, and if we've only got the the strength of mind and character to take those things and accept them as true and do something about them, if only we have the wisdom and the understanding to stand tall in Christ Jesus until we are cut down by the adversary. It is better then falsely thinking you'll stand tall in the judgment seat and be cut down by Christ. In the fourteenth verse of the second chapter of Second Peter, it says they have eyes full of adultery, an adulteress, cannot cease from sin beguiling unstable souls and heart they have exercised with covetous practices practices, curse children. You know I've, I've skipped something. and I suppose it's because I wanted to skip it. Did you notice that? I didn't read it all. Because in the 13th verse, when we were talking about those who riot, spots, blemishes, sporting themselves and their own deceivings, there's five words that just send chills down my body. Read them. While they feast with you. That's the love feast. That's the breaking of bread. It's so easy to talk about the world out there. But this, he says, while they feast with you in Jude, says the same thing. Jude 12. These are spots in your feast of love there's no doubt about what that is these are spots in your feast of love remember we had said back in the second chapter and at the first verse There were false prophets also among them, even as there shall be false teachers among you. Not you among false teachers. We certainly are among false teachers. They're all around us. But that's not what Peter said. I don't want to read those words. Because that next verse pertains to what he's just said, it's a continuation. And the 15th verse, you know, says the same thing. They've forsaken the right way. There is a way that seemeth right unto the man, but it is not the right way. I don't want to read that. It isn't pleasant. It just doesn't seem right somehow. But I, I can't just pick and choose out of If I'm going to ask Peter to talk to me, if I'm going to invite Peter into my home, if I'm going to ask him to sit down with me, to dwell with me, and he offers me the advice of God by the Holy Spirit, if he tells me what it is that I have to watch for, what it is that I have to look to perceive, that I have to understand, do I have a right to say, well, I want to write, I want to hear this and I don't want to hear this? No, No more than I can say to Jesus Christ you can have this much of my life and this much is mine. No more than I can say to God I'd like so much salvation if it's all right with you. You don't get just so much. You get the whole thing. Everything is given to you. Everything. Therefore everything has to be given from us. I'm not going to dwell on those words. You'll have to pick them up yourself. Covetous practices, cursed children, forsaken the right way, gone astray, following the way of Balaam, who was mentioned in Judy, wasn't he? Who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Oh, brethren and sisters, we don't want the wages of unrighteousness. That doesn't pay. It's it's the low part of the scale. Like an inflationary dollar, it buys nothing. It looks big, but it gets you nothing. He was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumbass speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. You remember the story? He was going to go regardless. He wanted the wages, and the dumbass spoke to him. Why have you beaten me? You know, we've got dumb animals, animal nature peoples, who are crying a gout against the morality and the sin that's in the world. They have a tremendous message. They are talking about fornication and adultery and and immorality of all kinds. They are speaking out against it. It's called, the, what is it, the, the moral majority or something? The moral majority. They're speaking out with every fiber in them to try and tell people. But they're Their message, although it has a moral quality to it, it is of no value for these people. Now, if these kind of false prophets are not ashamed and not afraid to speak out against these things in their own, should we be ashamed? No. Pick up the gauntlet. Don't be afraid to call sin, sin. Show people the way they should go and how they should walk therein. Live a life that is dedicated to pure immorality, or pure morality, because immortality is based upon it. If these mad dogs of unnatural, decrepit, sinful, godless, pious people, are willing to stand up and be counted. Should not we, who have everything, the called, the elect, who have offered everything to them, the dumbass speaks with man's voice. And are we just dumb? Says these are wells without water. It's a source of supply of life. And the people come to us and they ask for advice and we say, well, I'm not sure. You'll have to make up your own mind on that. You mean to tell me that God has left us with no information on how to live and that we can't give strong, virile advice to our young people or to one another? That we can't counsel each other in the way of the Lord? The Word is just full of things. Full of things. There is no situation or problem that ever faces us that's too difficult. This is my favorite verse. 1 Corinthians 10 and 13. And brethren and sisters, hammer that home and home in your heart. Because that verse will keep you from all kinds of things. Will never give you an excuse. Will never allow you to run rampant with some problem. Because it tells us that our God is Faithful. And we will not be tempted with troubles that are too much for us without giving away that we might escape, that we might be able to bear it. Now that's true. I don't care what your situation is. I don't care how difficult your times are. Your God is faithful. You believed that when you went into the waters of baptism, He is still the same God and He will not allow you to get into a situation that is too hard. Only you've got to uphold Him. How I failed When someone asked for counsel help came the cry last night. Right? Do we not love them enough to say break it off? Your life is in danger. Don't we have that kind of spirit within us? The scriptures tell us what to do. But are we empty wells? No life-giving water. As Jesus sat at that well and he says, the water that I give unto you and you will never thirst again. Make the step in the direction of God and he'll give you all there is to drink. Walk away from the feasting of the day, from the riotous banqueting, And he'll give you all the food you ever required. That's what he's telling us. Wells without water, clouds that are carried about with a tempest, terrible, but they never drop. The God-given rain that causes things to grow up unto righteousness. All they do is fleet around the heavens. To whom is reserved A mist of darkness forever, for the age. And the darkness, the veil that is over the face of people now, keeping them from seeing the light, will blind them forever, so that the blind leading the blind shall both fall into the ditch of perdition and cease to be blind. Are we blind also? Said the Pharisee. No, now you say you see. Do we, brethren and sisters? Do we say we see? Therefore, our sin remaineth for judgment. Unless, unless we go to God now. Unless we bear that sin and put it on Christ. But when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. You know, we escape, but are we caught up again because of the allurement? Don't but it happened. Because although liberty seems to be promised in that 19th verse, those who promised liberty are really themselves, he says, the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, the same is he brought into bondage. And in Romans, the sixth chapter, we know about that bondage of sin. And we know about the bondage of Jesus Christ. We have changed masters. We have moved from one side of the fence to the other side, and you cannot straddle that fence. We are either the slave of Christ or we're the slave of sin now. We have to make up our mind and not be enthralled with the world around us anymore. That's a thing of the past, says Paul to Titus. And it has to be our platform. It has to be the way in which we live. Even though we live in this kind of an environment, make sure we are the fuel who follow not flesh